Do you ever feel stuck? We all get there at one time or another, don't we? When life just seems too hard, it's like, this is not what I bargained for. It might be that you're disappointed. You might feel betrayed. You might be hurt. Or you might just be frustrated. Things are not moving in the right direction. We feel like we're in a wilderness sometimes. And sometimes it's a wilderness that feels barren, like there's nothing here for me. There's nothing to feed me or to sustain me. And sometimes we feel like we're in a wilderness where we're getting choked out, where there's so much going on that it feels overwhelming and it feels like too much. When we get in these places, we tend to question ourselves, our decisions, and sometimes we find ourselves questioning God. All of us go through that from time to time. And so we want to talk today about how do we walk through the hard times? How do we get to the place that God wants us to go when things just feel too hard? Because it's not always that we've missed God. As a matter of fact, Jesus was actually led into the wilderness. The children of Israel were led through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And so the scriptural story is full of wilderness. It's full of challenges and difficulties and even some lament. One of the great heroes of the faith, uh, David, as he shared his heart in the scripture, uh, we see this sense of confusion and discouragement. And and yet he was called a man after God's own heart. Uh, He was applauded in a very significant way there, yet he struggled oftentimes. Psalm 102 says, Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me. When I am in distress, turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. David must have felt from time to time that God wasn't listening. Or that if he was listening, he wasn't responding. Or if he was responding, he wasn't responding fast enough. Any of you ever felt that? It's like, are you like paying attention? Are you distracted, God? Where are you? He continued on. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. Now, if we had David in our clinic, we would diagnose him with clinical depression. At least... It would be an adjustment disorder with mixed emotional features. Um, he's depressed. He's anxious. He's fearful. Any of you felt those things? This is the human experience. In this world, we will have trouble. There's going to be difficulties. Stuff happens. And from our vantage point, it never comes at a good time. It always lasts longer than it should. And sometimes we wonder, God, are you paying attention? Let's go on to verse 8. It says, All day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. That's not one we usually memorize, is it? Yeah, meditate on that day and night, okay? Probably not what we want to do. But what David is saying is, God, you are letting people hurt me. These people are bad, and they are hurting me. This is not right. We go on to verse 10, and it says, Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. 
My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. This place where David finds himself, where we can all find ourselves from time to time, is this is happening probably because you're mad at me. You probably just lost patience with me. I've messed up too many times, and so you've thrown me aside. Now, those are all lies, but when you're going through it, it feels truth. You know, when you're in the darkness, you can hear those lies, but they don't sound like that. It's like, yeah, God really is mad at me. God really is against me. That's not the heart of God, but it's where we get sometimes. So how do we get through those times? We're going to work on giving you today some practical steps as disciples of Christ to get through some of these times, even though we're human. I mean, no, because we're human, we are going to struggle with discouragement from time to time in our lives. One of the things that we do often is when we start hitting a hard time, we hibernate. You know those times when it's like, oh yeah, we were going to go to house church, but we're just too busy right now. Or oh, we're not going to go to church. Or that friend wants me to go to lunch with them, but I'm just, you know, I'm just going to hibernate for a while. I'll come back out again when I get my act together, when things just feel okay. But for right now, I'm just going to pull in. It's one of the worst things that we can do. Because when we're going through hard times, we need to be with community. It doesn't mean it heals everything, but it keeps you from going farther down when you're in that stuck place or that depressed place. Scripture's clear that we are made to be part of a body, and a body has to connect with each other. We have to interact. I've heard it said um, we usually are hurt in community, and so we need community to help us heal. Again, it doesn't mean it's going to cure everything. But just being around people can sometimes be the exact thing that we need. The problem is a lot of us go into those experiences expecting too much from people or expecting them to help heal us in a certain way or to say the right thing or to include me in this. And so we tend to pull back. So if you've been with us very long, you know that we believe in community. We encourage it. Uh, We believe it's essential in our lives. But, thought number one, be with people, but don't expect too much from them. Imperfect people love imperfectly. If I have a couple that I'm sitting down with for the first time, and they're, they're stressed, and they're going through difficulties, and we sit down and kind of talk through their story, and we look at what um, could possibly turn that around for them, I tell them, now, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, We don't get through this overnight. It's going to take some time. And I tell them, for the first few weeks, I simply want you to try to be as kind and caring as you possibly can towards your partner, but with limited expectations. Realize that they're broken. They're wounded. You both have been in a car accident, and you're up here in one of our hospitals in ICU, and your arms and legs are up in traction, and we... You know, your face is bandaged and we can barely see your eyes. And if we move your, your bed just about two inches, you scream. So recognize that in your partner. So if you come in the kitchen on, uh, in the morning and you, you're trying to put the best foot forward and you're trying to be kind to them and they don't respond the way you want them to, give them grace. Realize they're in the hospital bed. Oftentimes, that's what is true in all of our human encounters. 
we're encountering people that have been broken or going through difficulties of their own. Sometimes when we think, well, why isn't, um, why haven't, aren't they paying attention to me or doing certain things um, that, that I need them to do? When in reality, they're just trying to keep their act, their own act together. <laughs> they're trying to deal with their own stuff. And so have limited expectations when you interact with each other. We are way more idolatrous than we really realize. Now, I'm not concerned that any of you are carving little wooden images in your garages, um, but we put people and things in a way more powerful place than God ever intended it to be. We actually worship these things. We actually crave uh, the influence of others and what they'll do for us and what they will speak to us for our, our very life source. And it gets us out of, out of kilter. So let people love you imperfectly and give yourself some grace also in recognizing that you're going to love them imperfectly. The next one is be with God, but not perfectly. It's okay to be imperfect with God. You know, as evangelicals, we tend to talk about this personal relationship that we have with God, and we talk about his love and his grace, and then we act like it's a performance. God isn't expecting you to perform for him. He loves you exactly where you're at, even if you didn't read your Bible today, even if you haven't prayed as much as you think you should. He loves you exactly where you're at, but we tend to turn it into a job, Our relationship with God is someone who loves us and someone who we love. It's not a job or an obligation that we have to fulfill. Years ago, we were in a Bible study when we were first married that we absolutely loved. We met together at least once a week. But there was a guy in our group, and you have to realize at this particular time, Brent and I were working full-time. We were both working on our master's degree, commuting to Stillwater to do that, and we bought an old house down by TU that we were flipping. We were totally remodeling and flipping. So literally, we barely slept. I mean, we were young, and we just kept going and pushing and pushing. Well, this guy in our Bible study wanted to meet with us one day, and he wanted to confront us on the fact that we weren't contacting him enough during the week. And so he laid out for us what being a good friend to him looked like and how often we should Just be. a little needy. Just a little needy. And a little bit controlling. <laughs> uh, but after we had that meeting, did that make us want to call him? No. If anything, it made me want to avoid him because I felt this pressure and this obligation. You know, sometimes we put that on God. We think God is the one that's guilting us over things. When you're in a dark place, when things just get really, really hard, it's hard to pursue some of those things we know that we should do. And so what I tell people is just breathe in and sense his presence. We think we're avoiding him. You know what? He doesn't go anywhere. He's still there all around you. And so it's okay to go, this is someone who knows me totally and completely and absolutely loves me. So I can breathe in and just say, God, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to be here without the need to tap dance or perform for you. But when you can't feel him, when it's too dark, when it looks like he's not doing anything or he's not doing things the way that we want him to do it, sometimes what we have to do is to find something to hang on to. 
I tell people a lot, find a word or a phrase or a scripture and hold on to that in the darkness. Repeat it over and over and over again. Have it always in front of you. Now, those of us that were in the charismatic movement for many, many years, maybe not you, but me, we tend to think, I need to get some really obscure scripture that speaks exactly to where I'm at right now. Maybe something from Habakkuk so that I seem really spiritual. You know those scriptures that almost everybody knows and that you learned from when you were this high? There's a reason why they're popular. They're popular because they speak about the true heart of God. And they speak to the need that you have right now. So it doesn't have to be a cool, rare scripture that nobody else has ever heard of. It can be something as easy as, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we just have to go, be still. Or sometimes it just has to be, know that I am God. And we hang on to that. And we say that, say that over and over again. Or, the Lord is my shepherd. God, I know that even though I don't feel you right now, that you are my shepherd and you're going to guide me to good places. You know what I need. So when I can't trust myself, when I don't know what's going on, I'm going to remember that you are the good shepherd and you're always there for me. Or also in Psalms 23, he restores my soul. You know, when you go through those really hard times, sometimes it just feels like you're beat up and bruised emotionally. Sometimes you just feel tattered and torn. And it's resting in that and saying, I trust that you are restoring me. You're restoring my soul. You're healing all those broken places that I don't know what to do with. Even a song, a song to sing over you, whether you believe it or not that particular time, you can sing one line of it or you can sing the whole song. But something like, great is thy faithfulness. I believe that somewhere within me, even though I don't see what's happening, I believe that you are faithful, and I'm going to hang on to that. Or it is well with my soul. It is well. Things are well, even if they seem uncertain. I trust you in that. Or you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. God, I'm trusting that you're going to make something beautiful out of these things that seem terrible in my life, that somehow you're going to make those good and right, and I trust you in that. The next one is remember that seasons eventually change. Sometimes in Oklahoma, even though we've had a pretty mild summer uh, this summer, oftentimes our summers linger on and on, and we're wondering, is this ever going to end? (laughs) Are we ever going to have fall? But we woke up this morning, didn't we, and fall's here. Um, when you're in the middle of a stuck place, sometimes it feels like it's just going forever and it'll never, ever end. But eventually um, it will. I think about the disciples at the cross. Uh, Their whole world had flipped upside down. I think about the next day. I think Saturday was a very significant day in the story of Scripture. Uh, They were lost. They were huddled together. They were in fear. Everything they thought was going to happen didn't happen that way. They thought that this thing that they were believing in and holding on to, um, that they were misguided and totally had, had gotten it wrong. And now, you know, it's, it's hard for us sometimes to realize the despair that they must have felt because we know the rest of the story. Uh, we don't think about so much about what they were going through at that moment because we know what happened on Sunday. You have a rest of the story 
in your life, even though you haven't seen it yet. God knows it. He knows the rest of your story. He says it's, it's, it's already written um, in his heart. He knows the good that, that he has for you in the future, what he's going to be able to take you through and how he'll get you to the other side. Um, trust in that story. Uh, re- remind yourself when you're stuck, remind yourself of the last time that he brought you through something. Usually we don't have to think back that far. And remember what he did and begin to get your mind on that and think about how difficult you felt like that situation was and how he brought you through that. Um, Make that part of your story. Make the memories of how he's rescued you and how he's brought you through things and how he sustained you and how he even changed your perspective about the past. Make that part of your story. There's an interesting scripture in Exodus 33, 18. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my part. I know, but I was going to cover for you. You were slick. Isn't she good? good. Wow, that was amazing. All righty, then I guess I'll do that scripture. (laughs) Okay. The the scripture that we're looking at here I think is is fascinating in, in the perspective that it shows on this idea of of that we oftentimes only see things clearly when they've already happened. And so Exodus 33:18 says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have co- compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Oftentimes we're not going to fully understand him until we see it. um, um, That place that he's already moved through that thing that he's already done. And oftentimes then we will find, as we think back, even though we felt very exposed, we felt like he wasn't paying attention, we're, we, we were feeling like that we were very vulnerable, we will recognize that he ha- actually had his hand over us, that he had us in a place in the cleft of the rock, and his protection was actually there. He was covering us. He was protecting us. He was doing things that we didn't even recognize at that point. And so once again, we only oftentimes see um, his true move and his true strength um, in the rearview mirror. And so make that part of your story. Remind yourself of that. Remember that God doesn't waste anything. I really believe that nothing that goes on in our lives is wasted. Even pain. God uses even that. As I look at Psalms 56, 8, this is in the message version. It says, you've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless night. Each tear entered in your ledger, each ache written in your book. He keeps track of all of that, and he uses all of that for our good. You know, it's so easy for us to quote Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We all know that. But sometimes when somebody quotes that to us, when, when we're in the midst of something difficult, it almost feels like a slap in the face. Brent calls them Bible bullets. It almost feels like, you know, you're making it sound like it's trivial. It's like, oh, don't worry. It's all going to work together for good. 
But you know what I've found over the years? In so many of the things, in all the things that I've gone through, and in things that I absolutely thought were going to kill me, that I thought I cannot live through this because it is absolutely too painful for me. I saw that God uses every one of those for my good. That he had a way of weaving it all together and bringing all the parts and pieces together. That eventually I could look back and I could see fruit that had grown in my life. I could see so many good things that had happened because he truly did work all things together for good. When we went through our series of miscarriages, I remember people used to say, "Um, I'm so sorry you lost your baby which is very kind and a very sweet thing to say. But in the midst of my grieving, I remember thinking, don't say lost. That makes me sound like I'm irresponsible or something. Oh, you lost another baby. It just, I struggled with that at the time in my pain. And I remember God whispering to me so sweetly and saying, you didn't lose any of your babies. They're still here. They still exist. They're just not with you right now. And so I started thinking about other losses in other areas of my life. And I thought, is it possible what I think is lost, God is keeping for me in some other way? That he has it held for me in some other way? And so I think about relationships or friendships that I've lost. I think, you know what? I still have memories good memories of those relationships. I still have things that I have learned through those relationships that have brought fruit in my life. And some of them, I learned a lot in the breakup of those relationships. God still used those for my good. Those of us that have grown kids, you know, sometimes you look back and you go, oh, I miss those days when they were little and they were at home. And I don't know about you guys, but I was so busy raising the kids, like feeding them and getting laundry done. I didn't do the scrapbooks. I didn't write down all the cute things that they've said. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, did I lose that? And then I see little Lucy, our granddaughter, and as she's doing things, instantly things will come back. And I go, oh, Preston, at this age, you did this and this and this. You said this. Oh, Caitlin, you did this. They're still there. They come back at the right time when I want them or when I need them. God holds our lives safely in his hands. And I honestly do not believe we lose good things. He stores those for us. You know, why are we surprised that God uses things for our good when we take a look at how our earth operates? You know, it's rained the last few days, and there's plenty of puddles in the parking lot. And the sun's going to come out this afternoon, and that water will evaporate. But you know, that water doesn't disappear. It goes up in the atmosphere, and God brings it down sometime or someplace else in the form of rain. It's not how we saw it before, necessarily, but God still keeps it, and he uses it in positive ways. When the leaves are dying on our trees and they fall to the ground, they're going to disintegrate, and they're going to fertilize the soil. So something new and fresh and healthy can come up out of that. God uses all things in our lives. You may not see what he's doing. You may feel like you're alone in some of this. But God is and will work everything that you're going through for your good. He has good in store for your lives. The next thought is we get through the darkness step by step and little by little. I don't know about you, but when I'm stuck, I don't want step by step. I don't want little by little. 
I want quick, I want miraculous, I want something new, and, and I want it fixed now. And yet, the reality is that the way God works, the story that we see, the Christian story is step by step, little by little. Something develops in us over time. I even think of the, the story of the, the children of Israel, and they come up to the Red Sea, and Egyptians are, are breathing down their neck, and all of a sudden, God does a miracle. But even in the miracles, they're still step by step. This water parted, but he didn't translate them from one side of the sea to the other. He didn't translate them from right in that position to the promised land. They had to walk through. And I don't know if if you've thought about what that must have felt like. This wasn't something that like happened every few days. Oh, God parted the sea again, like he did last Thursday. Uh, I mean, it's this is like... What? I mean, the water is piling up on each side. It took some courage to step into that. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to actually step and walk through that, wondering how long is this going to hold? Is this going to come down on us? But they had to walk through it step by step, little by little. And once they got to the other side, the seas came and pushed back the Egyptians. They weren't in the promised land. They were still in the wilderness. They still had to take step by step. Little by little, uh, they had to walk it out. Another time that we see that God's um, uh, deliverance in, in the Scripture, and this is uh, one of the frameworks that we see on how God changes us and develops us and develops character in our life um, in, in peop- working with people the last many years. Exodus twenty three twenty seven says, I will send my terror ahead of you. God's speaking to the children of Israel and saying, I'm going to go ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites and Canaanites and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. He walks us through little by little by little. If, if, if God came in here today and sat in front of each and every one of us um, and all of a sudden we saw his, his person and he said, okay, this is where I'm taking you. This is what I want for your life. This is what I expect that, that I'm going to do through you. We would be overwhelmed by that. We wouldn't even hardly be able to get out of our chair. It would be too much because we have not increased enough to take possession of that. And so our life changes little by little by little. Development uh, happens little by little, step by step. And the key is when we are in the middle of those stuck places that we take the next step. What's the next step? How do I, even though I, it's not even clear on what direction I take, how do I take the next step? And then in the midst of the stuck places, remember who orders your life. Psalm 62 says, My soul quietly waits for the true God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my deliverance, my citadel high on the hill. I will not be shaken. Remember who he is. Remember, he really is God. He spoke the world into existence. He raised Jesus from the dead. He has the, uh, the ability, the power to do whatever is needed in your life. 
and he loves you. He didn't send Jesus to die on the cross and then say, tough, you're on your own from here. He's there with you. He's there for you. He's there loving you. We can trust in him. The problem with most of us when we're dealing with our lives and the lives of our loved ones is we think we have the plan of how it should be done. And so it's, okay, God, work this out in my life like this. This is a good idea. How about if you do it this way? And we have to let go of that, and we have to say, I trust you, not necessarily I trust my plan that I want you to do. Let go of control or your illusion of control. The best way I can say this to you is by a quote from an amazing theologian, Henry Nouwen. He said, our belief that we should grasp tightly what we need provides one of the great sources of our suffering. But letting go of possessions and plans and people allows us to enter, for all its risks, a life of new, unexpected freedom. How can we live with greater willingness to let go? Another step in turning our mourning into dancing has to do with not clutching what we have, not trying to reserve a safe place we can rest in, not trying to choreograph our own or others' lives, but to surrender to God whom we love and want to follow. God invites us to experience our not being in control as an invitation of faith. I spent a lot of time this weekend talking as men together on a retreat about this idea of letting go. We Men tend to uh, desire to be in control, to kind of handle it ourselves, not need anybody else. And what, what the freedom, uh, what freedom can happen in our life when we learn to let go. When our response to the world is driven by a drive to control and hold, we will never be satisfied. And since our needs will not be satisfied, we try harder and harder until we are so concentrated on the means that we lose sight of the end. We become like someone who buys merchandise in great extravagance to deal with his fear of bankruptcy. And then he becomes so afraid of burglars that he cannot leave his house. He becomes trapped in his own fear for all his attempts to escape it. But the disciples of Jesus left their nets, the source of their economic security, and their families, the source of their emotional security, and followed one who promised to fulfill the deepest desires of their hearts. We know what that uncertainty feels like, all of us do. And yet, as we let go, we sense that something new, something wonderful can happen in its place. And the next thing is we just keep pressing on, even when it's hard, even when we feel like we're not going anywhere, even when it just doesn't seem to be working. We keep on walking. We keep on pressing on. A gazillion years ago, back in the early 80s, when Brent and I were doing all those things, being in grad school and working, and we were young and dumb, our dear friends that were in our Bible study um, encouraged us to all go to Colorado Springs and run a race called the Ultimate Challenge. It's also called the Pikes Peak Marathon. It's only 14.3 miles, but it's considered... It's up that. Um, Yes. Now, you need to understand, um, I was raised in Indiana... Um, came to school uh, at ORU and and lived in Oklahoma. Janice was raised in Kansas, um, came to school in Oklahoma. Uh, And so this is where we ran. This is where we trained. 
in the mountains of Oklahoma. Uh, I'd never been to Colorado. I'd never seen the Rockies. The mountains of Riverside. <laughs> I'd never seen, never seen the Rockies. Had, had no idea. I mean, I heard there were mountains, but I had, had no reference point. And so um, I remember the, the first day that we were there, we got in a day or two before, and it was kind of overcast, and I was looking for kind of the mountains, you know, and, you, and I said, is that, is that it over there? And my friend who was from there goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, is that over there? And so the whole first day, I had no idea what we're talking about. Well, the next morning, we went out on the balcony, and the day the, the clouds had parted, and he said, that's where we're going. Anyway, that just sets the stage yes. for this story. Um, yes. We, um, so. So, so we went up. We didn't get a chance to really acclimate to the climate because we didn't have much time to be there. You know, we didn't get to really train because we were busy with everything we had going on. But we were both running three to five miles a day, and we'd run 10 on the weekends a few times. And so we were like, how hard can it be? 14.3 miles. miles. Yeah. Which I have since learned if I say that, I'm about to do something incredibly stupid. Um, so... So we have a meeting the night before the race, and we find out that this race is not like a race in Tulsa. It's not where you go on the road, and there's policemen, and the little tables with water that they hand to you as they run through, and the cheerleading uh, people that cheer you on as you keep going. No, this is not like this. This is up a gravel hiking trail, a very narrow gravel hiking trail. In fact, they said be courteous because a few people have tried to pass other people, and they've been pushed off the side of the mountain in the midst of the race. Um, and there's no way to stop. Because it's a gravel hiking trail, they can't get anything there to rescue you very easily. So you either keep going or you go backwards. The only way to quit and get out is they have to airlift you, and they only do that if you are literally dying. So here we are. Now we find all of this the night before. The night before. And the so here we are. We're at the starting line. We're so excited. We have our cute little running outfits on because you want to look good when you're going to do something like this. There's pictures involved. Um, and it was in the 30s. And we were freezing. And we were excited. And we were moving forward. And so the first few miles were like, yes, we're doing this thing. We're going straight uphill. And we're waiting for the seven miles of relative flat they told us about the night before. Well, there's a different definition in Colorado between flat and, and in Oklahoma. We never did find the relative flat. As far as we knew, we were going straight uphill. It was much more difficult than we ever imagined. We didn't think about running on gravel. So we're, we're pushing, we're doing at least twice the time that we normally would running. We're so slow. We're finally, at one point, we're passed by people in hiking boots. You know, that's really bad. So, so we get to the top. There's only one water stop the whole way, or we get farther along. And it went from cold to hot then in the middle of the day. The trail got so narrow and so rocky that sometimes we had trouble finding our way. And our legs hurt. I mean, we trained in Oklahoma. Are we trained in Oklahoma on flat ground? I mean, we lived at 61st and Lewis. You know, you run Riverside. It's flat so our legs are using muscles that we just had not used or not used in that way before. So I'm going to Brent, being the sweet person I am. I am dying. This is miserable. This is horrible. I can't keep doing this. I hurt. I was getting crankier and crankier. And then we go above the timber line. And we start to pick our way through bodies. There are people who had gone faster than us. 
and they couldn't adjust to the altitude. So they're laying on the rocks, throwing up and holding their heads. And so we're having to find the trail through these people. And I'm going, I can't do this, Brent. I can't do this. Look at these people. I can't do this. And Brent kept going, you're tougher than they are. You can do this. And and I'm like, I am not. Look at them. They look like real runners. They have the muscular legs and they have the skinny little bodies. I cannot do this. And so we're picking through them and, and I'm nicely whining, I'm sure. And we get to the 12 mile mark and there's a monument there to a woman who has died on the race (laughs) at that spot the year before. And I sat down on a rock beside of it and I put my elbow up on the monument and I said, this is the stupidest thing I have ever done in my life. And I quit. I am not going another step. I'm done. And Brent being Brent, which those of you who know Brent know, when there's a crisis in the church, Brent's response is, oh, dear. Yeah, that's the church could be on fire, and he would go, oh, dear. So Brent being Brent patiently said words that have impacted my life, and I think have impacted a number of people over the years, and it's, honey, you have two choices. You can walk up 2.3 miles, or you can walk down 12. Take your pick. And you know what? I realize that's where we get sometimes in our lives. Sometimes you get to the point where you go, this is not what I bargained for. I do not want to do this. I want to quit right here because this is wrong. But really, our only choices are to go backwards or to keep pressing on forward. And so I stood up. And I shuffled my way a little bit longer and a little bit longer, taking step by step, just focusing on each step as I went. And we only went another mile. And then people from the top could look over and see us. And by that point, everybody was so spread out that you knew they were cheering for you. And so there was this huge crowd at the top, and they were leaning over, cheering and screaming and and just really encouraging us. Well, then at that point, it was like, yes, I am running the ultimate challenge. I am great. I am a six-minute mile, that last mile, you know, it's amazing. I'm a runner. I am a runner. And and we got to the top, and it was freezing cold again, and they wrapped us in blankets when we crossed the finish line. And, And, you know, I've never been able to read the scripture in Hebrews 12, 1, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We need to press on and run the race before us with endurance. I have never heard that without thinking about that crowd of people over the top of the mountain that were cheering me on and that were there at the finish line to wrap me in a blanket. So whatever, it ha- whatever you have going on, whatever your darkness is, you've got to just keep walking. You keep taking step by step and pressing on. And you know that God has something good at the finish line. If nothing else, I got a really great story out of it. (laughs) (laughs) So as we close, we want to all add our voices to the voice of Paul in Philippians. He says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wonderfully reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running, 
and I'm not turning back. Let's pray. God, we all bring our places to you this morning. All of us can recognize that we have probably at least one stuck place in our mind and hearts and our life. It, it may be a very practical thing that we're, we feel stuck in. It may be a vision that we've had that just seems like it's never going to be fulfilled and we just feel like it's stuck and we've just given up and uh, pushed it to the side and said it'll, it'll never take place. Whatever, whatever that is in our life, Lord, we bring that to you. We trust you in the midst of these moments as we take these steps that we are inspired by your word to take, yet not seeing clearly yet. We trust you that you are cheering us on, that those, those um, heavenly um, saints are leaning over the, the mountain, cheering us on as well, and we're going to keep moving. And so we hold on to your hand. We keep pushing forward and pressing forward in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.